Hey everybody, this is Sam and you're listening to the D-Band podcast, the show that provides you with juicy relationship, sexual and personal development tips, a podcast for deep thinkers and feelers who love personal growth and want to experience healthy relationships. Today I have a guest who I absolutely admire and adore and have had really extensive in-depth conversations about a topic that I'm really passionate about but don't know enough about hence why I love having these these chats and this person is Caroline Connor so Caroline is a survivor turned trauma informed coach whose practice is guided by a combination of science and experience which incorporates the body mind and spirit Caroline's own personal journey through complex trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and the re-traumatizing experiences she had with the more accepted mainstream therapies led her on a journey to discover techniques that worked on a much deeper, quicker, and more permanent level. Can confirm I have received treatment from Caroline as well. So through her own healing journey and now that of others, she believes that most people are not mentally ill, but emotionally distressed and healing this distress forms a large part of her work. Based in Melbourne, Caroline has qualifications in hypnotherapy, psych K, EFT, life and results coaching, and the lesser known but very powerful map coaching based on the work of Dr. Gary Flint. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for joining me. Pleasure, Sam. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, so good. So I want to start off with your journey because your story is really inspiring and I want to hear, I would love my listeners to actually hear about where you've come from and what, yeah. Got, you, yeah, what got you here. Okay, so um, I started off, unfortunately I was one of those unlucky people to have been born into a family of like pretty severe abuse. Um, and my mother passed when I was four. We had a housekeeper come in um, who was a Seventh-day Adventist. And between her and my father, this dynamic was just extremely volatile. However, having said that, um, I think it was extremely volatile with my mother as well. But um, in fact, I know it was. But unfortunately for us, um, you know, what we went through as kids was pretty full on. It's kind of weird going back there now, you know, at my age with all the work that I've done and working with so many people. It, it's, it shows you how much work you've done when you go back to, to talk about it, if that makes sense. But um, it sort of culminated in uh, when I was 22 in 1987 when my elder brother um, shot and killed four young girls. And I, that was kind of the pinnacle of 22 years of just, you know, going backwards and forwards, but abuse, like it wasn't just physical abuse. There was mental, there was emotional, there was sexual, there was spiritual. Like it was the whole gamut. Um, and so I, I think by the time I was eight, I'd already experienced eight of the ACE scores, the Adverse Childhood Experience scores. And so technically I should have been dead. <laughs> but, wow. yeah, so when my brother um, did that, it was kind of we were already a mess, obviously. I already knew really even when he did that that it was the result of how he'd grown up. I mean, he copped it worse than any of us. Um, and, yeah, it was really uh, I just spent the next 
few years, probably 10 years, it wasn't until like my first son was born, um, in this really weird, like I had on the outside, I had this great looking life, you know, um, but on the inside, anybody who's had PTSD or trauma is you just kind of stay stuck in this silent scream. It was like, um, it wasn't until years later I got an analogy for it, but it was like I had somebody drawing their nails down my spine like it was a blackboard and that's how I was permanently you know and and this is going on inside me and I'm watching the world outside me kind of going around and it was so different to how I was actually experiencing it does that make sense it was really um Did yeah you I was numb? just stuck Green. Oh, absolutely. It's mm. numb. It's numb, but it's not numb at the same time. It's numb, but it's this <sighs> that was just permanently um, going on inside me. But nobody on the outside could see it. All they could see was, you know, this life I kind of had. But how would you like behave when you were in relationship with other people, whether it was platonic or intimate? So that that's always been very tricky. It was I, I didn't understand attachment. A lot of my friends attached to me, um, and I find this a lot uh, repeated in you know now. Obviously, as I as you know, I've been working, spending a decade with people for a decade now. Um, but one thing I notice is that people who've had similar kind of trauma or protracted traumas we don't kind of choose our friends they kind of choose us they kind of and and sometimes that's good um but sometimes it's not and quite often you're chosen because you're easy to abuse but Mm, it was very difficult to attach um we don't know that at that time and I didn't know that at the time because you still feel um you know you're still attracted to people and you're still you know uh feel you feel like you want to be their friend but it's a really it's it's a very unusual now that I'm having healthy relationships it's in, again it's interesting to look back and realize how much I was just kind of flowing by the weather and you know and now as those friendships are kind of moving away that interestingly enough the healthier I got emotionally the more of those relationships just started to drop off as well even though I thought at the time that they were incredibly healthy that they were incredibly supportive that they were incredibly wonderful I kind of realized now that I I didn't have that those sort of skills to actually recognize that yeah wow that's a really intense and traumatizing upbringing like I actually didn't know that about your brother I don't think you've shared that maybe you have shared it with me and it's you know, with everything else that you've experienced, I just got lost in translation. But wow. Yeah. I've got a video called Stemming the Flow on my YouTube channel and I'm about to launch a new website. It'll be on that as well. But it goes through the story and it just sort of gives you, you know, I, I balance the story against um, another guy in the States who had a horrific upbringing, but then he was kind of rescued by a family and what happened to him um, was really quite amazing. So, um, and it just went to show the difference between when you've got support and love. And I, I think sometimes people, trauma is horrific, but if you've got at least one person there, like a grandma or, a, a, you know, a sister or a sibling or an aunt or somebody who's 
backing you, at least you've got that. Does that make sense? Some people are, you yeah. know, just don't even have that. They're just thrown out to the wolves. And, and who was it. that person for you? There wasn't one. So I didn't have, and it was always funny, you know, I'd always read these stories about the teachers who were terrible until they recognised something in a child and you hear all these fantastic stories saying, I never had anyone. <laughs> but uh, you know what? Um, that's kind of good too because now I can be that person for other people. So, yeah. you know, yeah. now I can, you know, because I recognise in traumatised people certain things that get pushed by the wayside, why they are the way they are, why they're doing it. I mean, I just love human behaviour. And yeah. you know, whereas other people will say, oh, she's this or he's that or blah, 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 and have all these stories about them, I can straight away see, well, you know, you've got trauma somewhere in your childhood. I love this. I was actually thinking about this. It's actually, it's kind of weird, actually. <laughs> I was thinking about this before jumping on this podcast while I was getting ready, you know, when you have your deep thoughts in the shower. And um, sometimes I find myself in a negative feedback loop thinking about like, you know, trying to people please and make sure that, you know, I've accommodated other people or whatever. And then I was like, you know what, Sam, like you don't need to please everybody. And if people are going to judge you and not actually sort of understand that, you know, you're going through whatever you're going through as an example, then, you know, that's on them. We can't take responsibility for that. So with the reverse of that, it's like when I look at people similar to you, and I'm wondering if this is what you're saying, when you look at people or you see somebody who's potentially having an outburst of anger or feeling triggered or responding in a way or reacting in a way that is really wildly emotional and, and erratic and hurtful, do you look at them like there's a reason for that? They're not just doing that for the sake of doing that. Like hurt people hurt people. So what is it that's going 100%. on for them? Yeah. 100%. And I think people, I know people actually, in fact, a whole of society um, tends to, we tend to think that when things happen to us as children that um that time heals all wounds, but it just doesn't. Time just, you know, wallpapers over it. Mm. And if you've got a hurt three-year-old child who's angry and hurt and um, and has no healthy way of dispersing that anger, and let's face it, most people, we're only really starting to delve into how much our childhood helps us. But you can have a PhD in astrophysics and if that little three-year-old gets triggered, um, then you revert back to the three-year-old each and every time. So the work I do is very much going in and healing all of those those kind of little three-year-olds that are sitting throughout, whether they be 10, whether they be 15, whether they be three. Um, because the other thing is that people don't realise how these things do affect do affect them. And I, I can't tell you the amount of people that have come to me with panic attacks. And some of them have got beautiful childhoods. They've had beautiful parents, um, great families, and they're like, I can't understand why I'm having, why I've got anxiety, why, why I'm having a panic attack. Every single one, without fail, will go back to, we will go back to some form of bullying in their childhood um, and initially they'll laugh and they'll go like it can't be that because they're going back with their adult mind and their adult mind will recognise that, you know, that that was silly and that only happened once or blah, 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 blah. 
But when we actually go back and explore that situation, they will burst into tears and it will be like they're back there. And the fact that they've done that means it's still trapped in their body. The minute we clear it, and I can tell you now with bullying, um, you know, it's always the same stuff. It's shame, it's humiliation, it's feeling isolated, it's feeling lesser than, it's, you know, all these kinds, it's anger, it's it's um, the feeling, the why. The why is something, you know, that's the biggest thing for a lot of people as well. Why me? And quite often it's silly. It is silly little things. It's like Johnny Smith pushed me over in grade two and everybody saw my underpants and they all laughed at me and they all made fun of me. And so they felt isolated from their tribe. They felt threatened and they felt unsafe. And, you know, these intense emotional experiences kind of go like this. There's kind of a zip that happens in our nervous system and our um, our um our well basically our nervous system which is our structural of emotions and that kind of stays there and it, it stays there and, and every time you have another situation which might be completely different but has a similar intensity and similar emotions it builds on it and it builds on it and it builds on it and it builds on it until eventually you get to a stage where your body is overwhelmed you don't remember all of these situations that's the thing you've forgotten them because oh god that was silly that was so long ago but when you go back and you actually go oh my god and start to sob like you're there and realize that you know, your anger is on a sud scale of zero to 10 at being a 10 or a 15, then it's still in your body. It's still, and you're still reacting. And, and that's the filters that we all talk about as well. So everyone talks about you see things through your filters. Well, that's just one of the millions of filters that you have that you're seeing the world through. And so when you start to clear that and you kind of say, how are you feeling? And people say, well, I feel lighter. And it's very hard to explain to somebody what lighter feels like because lighter is an experience. And and that's where I work. I work in your experience. I don't work in, you know, because your thoughts aren't real. We think they are. Your thoughts are really just to, a way of distracting from the sensations you're feeling. Yep, yep. Even shame. Mm. Yeah, even shame and even emotions um, saying, like, I'm angry I'm angry, so that's kind of a justification to go into these angry thoughts. Um, but in a way, what it's actually doing is distracting you from the sensations of anger. And those sensations are those triggers that I'm talking about. Those sensations are the leftover um, body emotions or nervous system emotions that you're still carrying from those times long, long time ago. You know, So, yeah, yeah. and talking about it doesn't help. You know, if, if talking about it helped, and don't get me wrong, there's definitely places for psychologists and psychiatry and talk therapy. Like, you know, there hundred percent people get some great value out of it. For for a lot of people with trauma like that, it's not helpful. They actually need to move the trauma, not talk about it. Yes, yes, and I love that because the question I have is. Why, and I know people that have seen counsellors and psychologists for over a decade, and I'm like, why? Mm. Like for me personally, I want my clients when they hire me to know that they're going to fire me. Like I don't want to work with people for 10 plus years. I want to create that transformation. And I love that. I mean, that's what I experienced with you as well from only just having that one session. Um that was absolutely mind-blowing like I 
it was such an effect like it wasn't an yeah we'll go into that but yeah that's something that I've 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 questioned around um this sort of textbook theory approach to people and I've actually been slandered for it I've had people troll my my you know what's your certification what's this what's that and I'm like when my client when your clients when our clients are getting results that are outside these textbook theories and they're actually experiencing transformation why does it have to be a question of what's the certification and what's that even though I'm I know what the certifications are and I know that I'm capable and yada yada it's just outside it's alternative because and I think, yeah, like what's been your experience? You said something right before we jumped on the on the podcast is that trauma is very relative and specific and unique to the individual. It's not something like you can have, you can't have a blanket statement or a blanket approach. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not slandering psychologists no, and no, counsellors. Yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. I mean, I did all that traditional therapy. That's the thing. So when my brother did that, I was, as I said to you, I was kind of living in this really weird world internally but outside and I was doing that and I I remember, um, you know, I saw counsellors, I saw social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists and I remember this last psychiatrist I saw and it was near Faulkner Park in Melbourne, um, near the Faulkner pub and it was just down that, that street and I remember looking at him because they just wanted me um, to talk about it and I just wanted to feel better. Mm. And I remember looking at him and screaming, I don't want to fucking talk about it anymore. I just want to feel better. And I realized they actually don't actually know how to treat trauma. And this was really fascinating to me because we assume because they're these head doctors um, and because they've studied for decades or however long to do their degree that they know more than we do but and this was this is really the start of my journey because I remember you know they just had no idea how to make me feel better and then I remember thinking I was kind of at the stage where I'd had enough and I was ready to you know like I was ready to do myself in because it was the the constant nightmares the constant rages the constant anxiety the constant you know like I just was emotionally up down everywhere I'd be low 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 I never got diagnosed with anything but you know I'd be these when you couldn't get out of bed to these ridiculous highs where you'd just be going crazy kind of thing there was no kind of emotional regulation within me at all mm. and um and I remember somebody put me onto a spiritual healer and I was so desperate I went which is kind of funny saying that now but I, I was so desperate I went and she introduced me to EFT and it was the first time in my life I walked out of a session and felt better but what blew me away was meeting psychiatrists and psychologists and people like that within my friendship circles and saying, oh, my God, you know, this worked for me. And then looking at me as if I was completely mental and saying there is no, it's all in your head. There is no medical evidence or scientific evidence to back up your study, uh, to back up your claims. And I remember kind of looking at these people. A, they were gaslighting me, which is like they were telling yeah. me that my experience wasn't real yeah. and that it's all in my head. Isn't that the point? Like, yeah, isn't that the point? Yeah. And so, like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> can we just take a note of there's no, there's the, the, the huge contradiction in that. 
There's no scientific yeah. medical evidence, yet you're standing there telling them, them right there, right, like in that moment, here's the evidence. We've got full body chills. Here's the evidence. Yeah. And Me. they roll, you get the rolling of the eyes, you get the, and these are people who are supposed to understand trauma. So they're talking to a traumatized a person who's obviously been through trauma. And they're dismissing their, um, you know, I think what, and I think this has become very apparent with what's gone on over the last two years. We tend to hold science up as some um, amazing proof of the truth. And it's not. It's just, you know, a hundred years ago they were using leeches and that was the amazing proof of the truth. 50 and years ago they were doing lobotomies. That's right. So, and this is the thing, it's really, you know, but our, um, and there have been a lot of charlatans within the new age and within the alternative health therapies, as there have been within the traditional therapies, I kind of get mixed up with those because really the work we do is the traditional, yeah. <laughs> whereas the, you know, but anyway. Um, and having said that, as I've said, there is a lot of value for people with psychology and psychiatry. There are a lot of people that get a lot of value out of it. So, But to think that that's the be-all and end-all is just wrong. And, look, I have, mm. I have psychiatrists and psychologists come to see me, and that's the way you think. But I'm not allowed to, you know, because they would lose their licences if they knew that they were coming to see someone about me. But I think there's more out there than we kind of realise that, understand that it's not the truth the weirdest thing on top of that too is the jesuit saying that give me a child till they're seven and i'll show you the man so they've known they've known for hundreds of years about, about childhood abuse and childhood trauma yet complex trauma wasn't coined until 2014 and it wasn't entered wow. into the dsm until 2016 or 17 so for all those 300 or 400 years of scientific psychiatric and psychological studies why why is that never been studied why is childhood we we know when we do plants i mean it's been studied but why has it not been studied to the depths of complex trauma to the depths of you know because it's been known about yeah so yeah. i've always found that kind of really um fascinating as well why it's taken so long for people to acknowledge I mean I kind of I know the steps that went through with the ACE study and how it all came about but it's still like but yeah what, you've been studying theory like that's the thing and that's like I was, I was listening to the audiobook of the body keeps the score it's really hard to digest the information in it because it's quite complex and there's a lot happening and a lot of studies mm. that he's done um but yeah he was talking about his struggle of getting things even considered by the um american what are they called psychological api or something apa um yeah american psychology association and like he did he had he had completed rigorous testing rigorous research studies had all the evidence to back things up and to that was against pharmaceutical drugs and the different therapies and different ways of approaching trauma and they just dismissed it like all the the boards just dismissed it and didn't account it and the dsm in itself is like if you read it you walk away from having like five or six different mental health issues or whatever the diagnoses are so it's like how is that even like 
you and what I love about you and other people like you is that you've actually walked the walk you're not just talking the talk you haven't and I know so many people too many if you ask me that go and study psychology but don't actually embody the work and they're just like in their head and they're just like this is what the textbook says and this is what this is and it's like I'm going to compartmentalize you now because this is what Freud said and this is what and yeah that's all relevant and it's all amazing and yes it's great to reference but like I need to see that you're actually living in integrity to what you've learned and if you're not if you're not actually practicing what you preach I personally really struggle to engage with somebody who hasn't done that because it's like if you're not practicing what you preach then what are you doing like how is how can you say that this works and so that's what I really admire and love about you is that you've gone through you're not just sitting here and talking about oh I've I've, this doesn't work for me and this does work for me or you're not going by the textbook is what I'm trying to get at Mm. you've actually lived the experience and you've you've worked out what is a powerful and effective way of facing trauma and dealing with trauma and healing your trauma. And so now you can teach people from an embodied place with integrity those specific tools. Yeah, and it's really um, it's really tricky because a lot of people have said to me, why don't you go and study psychology and why don't you go and study psychiatry? That will give you a lot more credibility. Uh, hang on, what? <laughs> and I suppose it's hard for people to understand who I was to where I am now. Um, but it's like, what more credibility do you want? <laughs> do you know what I've come from? But, mm. you know, but part of me has gone, you know what? No, because I, I'm here to show you that you don't need to have those degrees and are still capable of helping people through, in fact, in some ways more capable of helping people through because I am open to everything. I am open what works. And and I also know that until your experience is shifted with something, your experience hasn't shifted at all. Yeah. And so even if it's an experience from 20 decades ago, shifting that experience or 10 you know 10 decades ago whenever shifting that experience will also shift your current experience now mm, yeah um, you know and sometimes as i say all people need to do is to talk about it sometimes that's all people need and i have had people come to me and they just want to to talk through things um I do say to them, look, I, I don't i tend to really work in my sessions as you know i don't do a lot of you know that sort of background chatting because in the end again it's just stories it's stories we tell us that's yeah it's it's projections of the angst that we're feeling that we project onto other people it's um you know it's and even ptsd ptsd is a is a trance and this is why going back to your conversation about your your story about um people that have been seeing psychiatry you know doing the talk therapy for a decade I, you know, I remember talking to an ex-cop who'd spent 20 years in homicide and he was seeing the top psychiatrist for PTSD in Melbourne and he'd been seeing him for three years at twice a week at $350 a pop. I haven't bought it, but I was like, and I'm just looking at him thinking, at what stage do you think that that's not working? 
Wow. Like there are so many fantastic techniques around to work with phobia and PTSD. Um, and that's why hypnosis is great for PTSD because it literally is a trance state. It's literally, you know, a trance is a very, very focused state of awareness. Um, and the perfect example of this is to talk about soldiers because everyone kind of gets it. <clears throat> but a soldier is in battle and they're focused. They're focused on staying alive. They're everything about them. Every hair on their body is everything is in hypervigilance, high alert. They're in danger mm. situations. They're waiting for, you know, to be shot at. It's, it's just like focused, straight and narrow down what they need to be doing. And while they're focused like that, there's bombs going off, you know, and they're not kind of registering because it's all part of it. But every time the bomb goes off, their nervous system gets another shake and another shake and another shake. So it's no wonder that when they come back, because that's never been resolved, because they're still in that trance-like state, because it's affected them so, so much, it's no wonder when they come back, they hear you know, and it sets them off because it reminds them back of that back of that place. Now, interestingly enough, with PTSD, which you would have understood from Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps Score. Mm. And I've got to say, I did find the audiobook hard, but the the text is much much better. Okay, yeah, um, you can read it and reread it and do all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've had to rewind it so many times. We're like, what did he just say? Because it's so in depth and complex. Yeah. But thank God for him. I mean, and, God, and, and yeah. in a weird way because he then got outed a couple of years ago for being a bully. So it's kind of interesting, you know. It's And so then all of a sudden his work's completely annihilated and it's like, well, no, it's not, unfortunately. <sighs> and he grew up with a father with PTSD. Yeah, so. and, like, can we just acknowledge the fact that he's still a fucking human being? And so, mm -hmm. yeah, he has his own trauma. And if he's not aware of it, like, you know, Carl Jung says, um, I can't remember the quote, but it's about our unconscious, you know, we're not aware of what we're doing unconsciously because we're unconscious to it, it's our shadow. So he's still gathered and collated all of this information, you know. He's still a human being. Um, but what I noticed was in the category, his category in terms of like looking up books, mm. his spiritual self-help. What? Yeah. And oh, wow. Till Swan as well, who hasn't done any psychological studies or anything like that, who has helped so many people and speaks absolute like incredible truths. Um, again, spiritual self-help. So the, the spiritual label, the self-help label gets completely disqualified because it doesn't have the um, psychological psychiatry attachment to it. Which is bizarre because he's a psychiatrist and he actually was the one of, when he came out of psychiatry school, he was the one that his first um, assignment, for want of a better word, was to use lithium within um, the veterans. And he found lithium worked, um, uh, but then to a, only to a certain degree. Yeah. And so he's yeah, very. Yeah, that's right pharmaceuticals but that's the interesting thing about pharmaceuticals and psychiatry and psychology so I never went on any kind of pharmaceutical drugs that's incredible yes you having had the trauma that you had would have and and if you went well what were you prescribed I'm curious because that's something that's I wasn't so I just refused to take them but like so what was, did they what did they tell you that you should be taking Oh, this was 30 years ago, so they didn't really have, cool. and I can't remember. You know, I was, I had like anxiety from work, and I was prescribed Valium, and I never took it. Yeah, 
I mean, I've had Valium before, but like I never took it for that specific thing. And it was because I just did not want to numb myself. I'm curious about your experience. So yeah, go on, tell me more. Sorry, I'm well, just interrupting just, you getting passionate. <laughs> yeah, no, because I realized that it was just the symptoms, that that's what it was working with, that it wasn't wouldn't actually be working with my trauma, but just numbing my symptoms. And I kind of instinctively knew that if you kind of go down that road, you get lazy. And then you get fearful of, because you're feeling better, and then you get fearful of letting the drugs go because you don't want to go through what you what it was that was going on beforehand anyway, and these have stopped it. And it's it's created a learned helplessness. And wow. learned helplessness within um within the psychological framework is huge because learned helplessness is massive with trauma mm. and where people really can't um take care or, or look after them themselves um and that's emotionally as well as physically so it, it, it it's created a whole situation of um no longer trusting yourself but it's the same with going to the doctor and and rather you know look what's happening over the years everything that's natural like um sitting out in the sun and eating a healthy diet and getting exercise and doing all that kind of stuff which i have to say for trauma if you're traumatized you can't just and I have a lot of this, especially with my female clients, is um, you can't just work on the emotional trauma. My healing really, when I started getting healthy, started making sure I move every day, started grounding. I don't think people really fully understand how important grounding is and how disconnected we are from the earth. Um, mm -hmm. that if I, and even now, if I don't ground, um, if I don't move my body in some way, like do some exercise, um, then literally, or I get some sun, literally within a couple of days, I'll start to feel raggedy and ratty. And, and mm. so I think a lot of people really discount, um, how much your diet and exercise is super, super important when you've been through trauma, and it, it just yeah. is. There is no way of avoiding that. And I'm literally about to start working with a, a holistic nutritionist who's been working with these integrative doctors to help some of my younger clients. Because quite often with women, you know, I, I was finding that they would come to me and we do great work and, and then all of a sudden they started coming. They'd be fine for a couple of months and then they'd start coming once a month. And it was like, I think this is your period. I think this is PMT. Yes. Yeah. And Client and with PMDs. And and do you know what? I was the one who told her that she has PMD. She'd been to doctors, she and they prescribed her antidepressants. She'd been to nutritionists, she'd been everywhere, and nobody told her what she had. She didn't even know. She didn't even know. Yeah. She just accepted that she just felt depressed before her period. I was like, You've got PMD. Yeah, there's a lot, and I think people really discount it. And so I generally put them on to, I'll tell them about happy hormones or happy yep. mammoth, both of them are the same, um, and how naturally they work. And it's interesting. And it's like, and sometimes it's so funny because they'll go, oh, well, you know, I don't want to spend that money a month. And it's like, okay, so you'd rather spend $180 an hour to see me than $80 getting supplements that are going to make you feel better. And that's your integrity. Well, it's also, yeah, that's right. But it's also taking responsibility. And I'm like you, I, if 
people were coming to see me for like I do have people that have been seeing me for a, a few years but what happens is they tend to come we clear what they need to clear and then I might see them once a year once every six months you know yeah just whatever. a maintenance maintenance yeah yeah, as they hit a period, you know, they've met a boy that they like and they're starting to notice all their triggers are starting to come up and it's like, okay, then we work through that and do all that. Yeah, because of- it's, that's the thing about trauma is that it's not like it's, it's um, well, I don't know, actually you can tell me this is the way I understand it. I'm not Basically the way I understand it is that like until the trigger comes up, it can be dormant. And that's so right. if you're single, for example, for 12 months or two years or three years, and you're like moving through life, you've dealt with other childhood trauma that might be coming up where it's being triggered in your workplace, triggered in your friendships or triggered in your family. But until you're in a relationship, that's you're not going to experience those triggers. So That's right. And yeah. triggers do stay dormant. And triggers are really interesting because triggers, are, especially for people who've come from complex trauma, triggers can be, for me, it was, it's, you know, sometimes it's a smell and you don't know. And then all of a sudden a yeah. smell hits you and all of a sudden all these feelings overwhelm you. And you're like, what the hell? It songs could be for the- me. Songs. What is it? Songs, songs, music. Yep. Yeah. And this is the thing. And it could be even the color of a shirt, the way somebody looked at you, um, the way uh, somebody was standing, which reminds you of a perpetrator. Like, you know, and it, it's not something you cognitively um, recognize otherwise of course you'd be going oh my god that's just a trigger it's just that all of a sudden something's caught your eye you don't even know what it is specifically and the trigger just starts so these are you know but also interestingly enough what came out with the ACEs study too was that 64 percent of people have had trauma in their childhood so if you've got 10 people 6.4 of them have had trauma in their childhood and are still more often than not reacting to that trauma in their adulthood but not understanding that they're like oh no you know I'm fine you know I don't think about that anymore you know (laughs) I feel so seen right now because I've met I've met this incredible guy a year ago he's so amazing and so beautiful and ticks you know all these boxes and his voice sounds like my stepdad and so when I speak to him and when I spend time with him I'm just like oh he's so great but also because my stepdad was quite abusive and so I just like can't Yep. It's like I can't push past that. And I didn't realize that until now, you just sharing that with me. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And I know that there's healing that is, you know, I need to, to do around that, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. <laughs> because he's this great guy, but I can't like be intimately involved with him, which is, you know, we would be an incredible match. I've I've actually shared this with him. I said, You remind me of my stepdad. I'm sorry, like I can't move past this. I don't know what it is. But mm-hmm. yeah. Sounds like I need a session. <laughs> Not a session. <laughs> Just to do that. Um, that's wild. That's really wild. Mm-hmm. So in that scenario, do you think that's what, yeah, that could potentially be what's limiting me from exploring anything further with this person because For of sure. that trigger? Yeah. yeah. And it's actually interesting if I notice anyone that does sound like my stepdad, a man, or behaves like him, I just run. I go into full avoidance. I nitpick yeah. and I'm like, nah, I'm not interested. Because he, was, yeah. he had narcissistic traits, my stepdad, so I don't want to fall into that relationship dynamic of being codependent either. Yeah. Um, but that's the trauma, right? That's yeah. the trauma taking the action, which is so unconscious until yeah. we bring it. Yeah. 
That's right. And that's the thing. I mean, at least you recognise that it's his voice from your um, stepfather. For some people, they don't recognise. They don't understand what it is, you know. Oh, I just sense that something's not quite right and that that person unsettles them or that person freaks them out or. That's what it was originally. That's what it was originally. Okay. I felt whenever I hung out with him, I felt like a contraction in my solar plexus space. So just between my mm-hmm. belly button and under my breasts. And it was like a really uncomfortable sensation. And I just thought that's my gut telling me he's not for me. Then I watched a video that he did because he does like live speaking at schools and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my God, he sounds exactly like my stepdad. Mm. And because I'm also doing this work for a living, I can take that, but not yet. It's interesting. Some people wouldn't have that awareness. A lot of people aren't aware. And that's that learned helplessness that's come into that. They put, they hand their autonomy and, and their health and everything over to their doctors or to their psychiatrists. Well, I'm doing the work because I'm going to see, you know, the psychiatrist and, and some people, also don't want to heal they think they do but they it's a comfort zone for them and to actually heal you have to be a different person and this is a thing people don't realize that you have to step into the diff into a different reality of a different person and mm. as much as we might hate our trauma and hate what it's done to us we're creatures of habit and uncertainty um makes us um, especially for traumatised people, uncertainty feels unsafe. Yeah. And so that's why people oscillate between, you know, powering forward and almost getting there and then oscillating back to um, who they were because they're more comfortable there. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about the session that we had together mm-hmm. because that was really powerful. And full disclosure, during the session, I was like, I mean, it was hard to like surrender and let go. But then mm. I was like, we were going through the process and it was very subtle. It was a subtle experience because you said that as well. You said, you're not going to really feel anything. Well, what, tell me about it. So what's the Psyche? K? So Psyche K is one of the, it's probably the tool I use. I would say the most purely because it gives me, A, it gives clients a good shift straight up. Um, but B, it gives me a good sense of where people are at, how much they want to change, you know, because that's a really good example with Psych K. If you've got people who just get frustrated with the process, it's like, oh, I don't want to, do, you know, it's like, and you kind of realize, okay, they're, they're here because they want the magic pill, not because they actually understand that they need to do the work. Like I'm just a facilitator, yeah. even within hip- hypnosis, there has to be a real want to change. Um, and you have to go away and need to do the homework and do all that kind of stuff. And these yeah. are the kind of find out. But with Psyche, Psyche balances your left and right hemispheres of your brain. And it just uses really simple poses. It is, um, it is extraordinarily effective, but it is very subtle. Again, again, another way when people come to see me quite often, they'll, you know, because we all read the testimonials, right? I've got some amazing reviews and, and don't get me wrong, I've definitely had clients where their whole world has shifted after, you know, they'll work on somebody they haven't spoken to for 20 years and all of this, they'll get in the car and they'll go, you'll never guess what, I had a missed call from that person that I hadn't, you know, all those kind of weird things. Um, but for the majority of people, 
especially when we do this this kind of work, is the change is internal. And it's not always the change that you wanted um, because, you know, it might, it might be coming to me about so a guy came to me, I'll give you an example, for procrastination. But I knew to work with his procrastination I had to work, and this was a guy in his late 50s, I had to work with the bullying that came out in the session as we're talking. He went through some horrific bullying as a child. He had an eye stigmatism and um he was horrifically bullied as a teenager for it. And so we worked on that. And the next session he came back and I said, well, how was your week? And he said, well, the procrastination is still there, but he said, I no longer have road rage. Wow. So we got rid of the procrastination. But I also knew, um, again, if we don't get those earlier things, then um, the work that we're doing will just kind of, you'll oscillate again. Does that make sense? You'll go back because you haven't cleared. That's like addiction. I never work with people now with addiction unless they're open to clearing what's going underneath because I've had addictions and I've had hypnosis yeah. and it works for a couple of years and then I was back there or I just picked up another addiction instead, you know, because I wasn't dealing with the reason I was addicted anyway, which was to deflect from the emotions that I was feeling. Yeah, yeah. Hearing but, yeah. But Psych K, it's, uh, you know, so I say to people, when you when you work, do this work, you'll go out and it'll be, you will you might still get angry. So say if it's a relationship that you've broken up with, you might still get angry or you might still get a flood of emotion when you see that person. But instead of it lasting for three, four, a week, feeling real traumatised, it'll last for an hour and yeah. you'll be like, oh, or you'll be completely fine when you see them. You'll go, oh, my God. And the point, is never, yeah, the point is never to get, the point is to always get you to neutral. Yeah. Because from neutral you can springboard. But yeah. I'll just say this, people go out and they look outside, well, that hasn't changed and that hasn't changed and that hasn't changed. They don't realise it's not about that changing. You, When you come to see me, you'll still go back. There's still bills. There's still going to be somebody cutting you off from traffic. There's still going to be squabbles and niggles with your partner and your children and da-da-da-da. That's life. And yeah. uh, people don't understand that that is life. And people who've been traumatised tend to take any small thing and go, oh, my God, that means nothing's changed. The changes, that is not going to change out there until you start recognising the changes internally. And it might be just sitting down and going, wow, normally I would go into this spin of saying, oh, you're a bad person, you did this, da, da, da. But I haven't. I've gone, okay, and just moved yeah. on. So these are the subtle things. But as I said, most people, they want the outside world to change, not what's going on internally. They don't recognise that mm. that's where the change happens. And when you start recognising and embodying those changes and going, well, I have changed, then the outside world will change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your external world is a reflection of your inner world. Mm. That's but what we I still feel. Come to, yeah, but we still come to see people like me wanting that to change. But that's the thing. It's like the lens changes. Yeah. So it's like my 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 office right now is what it is mm. and I can look at it from the lens of whatever I mean this is a really poor example but like the external experience that I'm having in this in this environment could be like oh my god there's like there's too much pressure to to lead like to to measure up to the expectation of having a home office and being a successful coach and all the things or I can look at it as wow I'm so grateful that I have this space where I can really support people mm. Yeah, that's right. 
yeah, that kind that, of, yeah. It's a ch- shift in perspective. But it's also... Um, It's also recognising that when I've done a session with you, your office will be the same. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah, it will be 100% the same as when you came in. It's not the office that's changed. Can I share about my personal experience? Mm, Go for it. So I won't name names and who we were talking about just for their own privacy, but we went through a deep... um, uh, psych K experience where you journeyed with me and took me into some of the main triggers I feel with this person, which is around not being seen, not being heard, feeling frustrated, getting quite like triggered by um, the way that they, they, I perceive them to treat me and where that all comes from. And then we went, we went deep into the actual trauma itself and where it all began. And the yeah the experience of that I I walked away and I was like oh yeah I feel really well I feel really grounded and centered and calm and and in my body but it wasn't and like you said nothing changes I didn't feel a change you know like I didn't feel an instant change of like like it wasn't a noticeable a noticeable shift in my physical being it wasn't like I was feeling elated actually felt quite neutral right Mm. um and then and then it wasn't until I had a conversation with this person that I realized and noticed I was like whoa my relationship with them has shifted dramatically I'm now in sitting in a space of understanding and a space of acceptance of who and what they are and the defensiveness dissolved, the need for, um, yeah, it was, it was almost like an overwhelming sensation of love had, had, had washed over me when I was engaging with this person again and love and understanding rather than like being on a battlefield and trying to, um, yeah, fight them. Yeah. And that was a huge, and that's just from one session that was just from one session and yeah, it was profound absolutely it's profound. amazing yeah it is amazing for relationships and things like that and that and, and that's the thing it's um when we go into when we're in a relationship be it with a lover be it with um a friend be it with a parent be it with whomever we're equal in our dynamics and our um mindset and in our emotional you know, whatever it is we have between us. We're we're in the toroidal field together. So they're mixing up their stuff with us missing out our stuff. But if we just take responsibility for our stuff and clear our stuff, it's amazing how um, it's amazing how the whole relationship shifts because they're also meeting your dynamic with their, you know, power structure Mm, as well. Yeah. So, yeah, but but it's very hard for people to take responsibility because most of us want to project. And don't get me wrong, I I get there. I'm there too, you know. It's like we want to project. No, it's their fault. They did this, you know, and they might have. But it's up to you how you deal with it. Yeah, I mean, like, that's what I noticed was, like, my projections dissolved and rather than trying to change this person or trying to change the past or trying to control the situation and if only they did this and if only they did that those that sort of inner dialogue and that story just 
evaporated and it was mm. no longer about it was just like seeing the humanness in both of us and being able to accept that yeah that was a really powerful powerful experience and that was just one session and I know that there's more to it and there's more that we can journey with on that and we will and I'm just like yeah mind blown how effective even because what's typically how often do you like what would be the typical you, it's really hard isn't it it's hard to to, to know I, how many sessions I oh not yeah that's impossible you know um it's it, 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 a, as we've discussed, it really depends on how intent the intent people have and how intentful they are to change. There's a there's a really famous what's her name Tracy, I don't think her name. She's a really famous um, addiction specialist here in Australia. Um, she's written Tracy O'Keefe. She's written numerous books. She gets a hundred percent success rate da, 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 um, with addictions and full on addictions. And you know everyone's like, well, people get a hundred percent success rate. But if you read her books. The only reason she gets 100% success rate is she has this really strict, full-on criteria survey that people have to fill in. And if they get anything that's slightly off, she won't take them on because they're not 100% behind it. And she's a hypnotherapist. So this is where people want the magic pill. Yeah. Um, They don't want to actually have to do the work to do it. They just want it to... Um, kind of happen for them but with site k i generally say to clients um give it three sessions um again some people find the process so unusual that they find they don't they don't um concentrate because they're more a bit freaked out am i doing it right am i you know um so that's why three sessions is always good it also gives me an indication then of how deep because people will come in and and then they won't tell me all their stories I'll say no 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 I'm fine I'm fine and we'll get two or sometimes three sessions in and you'll find that they've had you know extreme they've been raped or um you know like it's like oh my gosh why didn't you tell me that to start with and I understand Mm. why because people need to feel comfortable but then it's it throws in this whole like wow okay so that's added another layer to that's going on but generally really for people for change it's how much you want to change it's how how much you front up to the sessions and participate Mm. with me I'll meet you I'll match you a hundred percent um but the change is completely internal it's completely up to you and it's completely up to you to recognize and note how you've changed as well not keep looking for things that because if you go outside looking for things that have not changed the whole world Mm. won't have changed so you'll find them but yeah I'd say three sessions first up um and then I also know whether we need to go into something else like map or do some hypnosis um sometimes I'll do hypnosis straight up depending on if it's a trauma like a you know sometimes hypnosis is much better for that and then I'll I'll do something called the rewind technique and then I'll use site k to install some some deeper beliefs um yeah I have to just say I witnessed you work with a friend of mine and you did three sessions with her is that right yeah yeah I witnessed this friend go through trauma in a way that was just like crippling and then the transformation now I'm just acknowledging it and 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 seeing it I mean yeah just yeah completely overcame what she was experiencing with the the trauma that she had and yeah that was amazing to witness that transformation yeah trauma is not that difficult to work with trauma is actually really easy what's difficult to work with is people's overthinking and people not 
understanding how they're so thinking is a habit and it literally yes. is we go up into stories it's a habit of distraction because as I think I, I'm not sure if we said this before when we were talking before we got on or if we've spoken about it during this but what happens first is you have a sensation so when you're triggered or anything like that you have a sensation but we're so attuned to our thoughts and so caught up in our thoughts and the reality or what we consider the reality of our thoughts that we don't realize our actual initial reaction is to shove that sensation down because we don't want to feel yuck go up into our thoughts and create this scenario where mm. they're the villain and we're fantastic and we're going to say this and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and blah, 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 blah. But all that's done is take you up into a story and kept the emotion down below or not even the emotion because even emotions are just sensations in play. Um, and so the biggest thing for people, and they don't that's where they get lazy, they don't want to get up and go into the space and just sit in the space even with med and I've been guilty of this too even with meditation rather than using active meditations but actually just sitting in the space of silence it yeah. feels I know when I was first introduced to it it was like a second I could hold it that space yeah. literally a second um, but over the years I've practiced I'll sit in the traffic lights I'll be in the you know the aisle of the checkout at the supermarket I'll um, wherever and I'll just practice sitting closing and it's not even suppressing the thoughts because that's another way but just recognizing the background silence that's around us and sitting in that um, but that's the biggest thing for people and and so they go into the session and they think because they've done this session that they're going to be great but they don't they have to take it off into the real world and work with it themselves you know the sessions are so much um, but you have these deep neural pathways that have holes, you know, the synapses and the neural pathways have just developed into this habitual way of being and this habitual thought. And so it's one thing to deal with the emotion and the trauma and the triggers. It's another to then deal with the overthinking and the habitual thought patterns. Yeah. And we can help that with Psyche. We can help that with everything. But you still have to take it out to the real world and recognise when that's going on and you're actually traumatising yourself you know, constantly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's powerful. And that's what I, um, why I resonated and really loved the work that we did together because it's creating or understanding and seeing the relationship that our body and minds have, you know, like it, it's, it's top down and up, down up, right? Like, you know, sometimes our thoughts can trigger a physiological response and then with that physiological response, the sensations that we feel the discomfort, we, tr we try to suppress that or like what you've just mentioned, use well, the I, thoughts to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we use the thoughts to go off into the stories and make up scenarios, you yes. know, and, and, and that's the thing. We have stories, as most people know, that we replay over and over and little hurts and little, you know, that we yes. replay over and over and over and over again. And, and they're just nothing more than habits and, and they're diffractions. And I know that there, there is, it's a chicken and an egg. What's came first, the emotion or the thought? For me, what I've noticed is it's not even the emotion, it's the sensation. It's a yeah. pressure in your heart. It's a, I don't think I've done the awareness technique with you or anything like that, but it's the, um, it's the, it's the feeling of churn in your stomach yeah. or, 
Um, and we st- I'm anxious. So already we start identifying I'm anxious. And yeah. as soon as we I'm as soon as we recognize the I'm anxious, it's like split second. I think that the sensation comes first. Yeah. And then, but we're so out of touch with it. Other people think the thoughts come first. At the end of the day, I know that if we can tame those sensations, if we can bring them back into balance, which is what Psych K does, it balances your left and right hemispheres, and that's why you're out of balance, is because they're not balanced. Um, if we can bring them back into balance, and I know this for myself and for my own clients, then the thoughts naturally follow suit. Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah. So because you're no longer, they're no longer be, being powered. It does not mean, though, that we don't then also have to work on those habitual habits of thought because I noticed, this sounds really bizarre, <laughs> but I noticed every time I cleaned the house, when I started cleaning, I will go into, I'd start grumping at people. <laughs> I'd anchored in, I'd anchored in, you know, when I was angry, cleaning the house. And so every time I cleaned the house or pick up the vacuum cleaner or I got the scrubbing brush out, I would go into negative thought patterns because that's mm-hmm. what happens when we do activities as well. It's like I'll say to my clients, you have to choose another reality. And to do that, you really have to choose the other reality. And that is getting up in the morning and using, if you're right-handed, using your left hand to clean your teeth. Wow. Not only is that really difficult, but you can sit there looking at yourself because it is difficult because one of the things with doing hypnosis is to confuse people, yeah. you know, do all those kind of things. And disrupt. Um, disrupt that's right disrupt your patterns and so because that's another thing where people just could sit there going oh, and think about their day and grumping about what happened yesterday and what they're gonna have to do today da, da, da. but if you, mm. you have to think about it then your mind's open so you can say well i'm gonna have a fantastic day i'm a legend i am whatever it is that you're cleaning your teeth because your mind's not in a habitual pattern you've already broken that pathway in a way and you're installing a new one and you can sit there and say i'm in a new reality that's why you choose different ways to go to work yeah I love that's why that. you choose different ways to walk yeah because i'm in a reality i'm in this reality now where everything's going to be fantastic you know where everything's yeah. going to be good where i'm going to you know but you literally have to choose the reality yeah to, and you have to make concrete physiological emotional and mental steps towards that as Love well it doesn't this. mean that you're not going to be dragged back to the other and you're not going to have it a, t- a friday or a day that you're tired you're just going i can't be bothered i can't be bothered we're all going to have that you've got to get over that yeah. We're all yeah. that you can have that day but just don't continually fall back into that pattern so Mm, I love this. I feel like there's going to be a part two to this podcast episode. Um, Thank you so much for joining me. That was an absolutely incredible, incredible conversation. I'm going to include all of your contact details in the bio. So if people want to get in contact with you and experience Psych K and the medicine that you have to offer, I will have all those details in the bio. Thanks, Sam. Really appreciate it. Great chatting with you. As always. And for those of you listening, I will catch you on the next episode.